1: as a public service announcement. Arsenal did win at the weekend and the season seems to be going in a good direction. But as a reminder, please only react to this with a firm handshake and a nod of the head. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Gunner. That's right, a firm handshake, maybe a nod of the head. You could give a, a smirk. I think a full smile would be more than is warranted. Uh, the important thing here is that there are obviously rules about how much you should celebrate a victory. And we gotta be careful to stay within the line. I'm kidding. Fuck those people. No, celebrate. Take shirt off. Take pants off. Run around. Show off, you know, maybe the fact that you've been using the lawnmower. Do what you gotta do. The point is, we won, it was tense, and I have to tell you, I am still probably dealing with some of the post traumatic stress from from the last ten minutes or so. The irony is actually that it wasn't like it was a, a full rear guard action. The pressure wasn't fully on us, but yeah, it was a it was a tense affair and we did come out victorious. And I, I think now it is a case of who blinks first. Because Liverpool just need to do their job. Manchester City, as we know, Pep is a fraud. He did not do his job. Liverpool, I trust you, do your job. Because if that happens, and I don't want to necessarily bring up what might happen when we play Leeds at the Emirates, but we could be approaching a pivotal point in the season. Now, a couple of quick things, and then we're going to get right into the meat of this. Firstly, um, we are still asking if you would be so kind as to leave us a review on the player of your choice, whether that's the Apple Player, the Spotify, or whatever it is. Um, it, I have been told that algorithmically that helps the podcast. I don't know what that means, but that's what I've been told. And so many of you have emailed your great reviews or direct message them. However, you send them to me, DM, email, into the Discord, wherever it is. Uh, you go into the drawing for free year of Patreon. So. Thank you for doing that. As you can maybe tell, I'm under the weather uh, dealing with a, a very popular illness that most of you uh, have probably read about in the last few years. So, uh, just hanging in there. So, thanks for putting up with me on that front. Let's get into the Arsenal discussion. And that starts by introducing Paul. You can find him on Twitter, Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter, Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, Lou. Clive, I want to start with you because you got a chance to have the away day experience. And you know, it's funny. I was listening to the arts cast uh, because that is what I call preparation for this podcast. And James and Andrew were both saying that actually the tension when you're at the ground is probably less than when you're watching on TV. And I get that, right? Cause like, you know, when I'm at the ground, like I'm focused on the drinks and the singing and the atmosphere and you're, you're sort of part of the whole event that's taking place. And then when you're just sort of in the more antiseptic environment of your home, watching on TV, you're so laser focused on just getting over the line, but it, it, there's really, really a special connection between the fans and the players right now. And the away support was great again. So I'm curious. Uh, I believe it's your first away day of the season. What was the experience like for you and how you connected with the, the tension, the anxiety and the euphoria of of the final whistle?
2: Well, firstly, uh, thanks to Akil and Tim for getting me the tickets to get in there. I took my son to his first away game. So that was really, really good. Secondly, I didn't really have too much to drink before the game, even though I killed. Josh. shame. To get me, I'm sorry. Even though he tried to get me into a pub at twelve o'clock, like he was. Right? <laughs> so basically, what I noticed immediately is that lots of drinks are taken with the away crowd, and I mean lots. And there are no nerves, only focused support. I mean, the singing before the game was just non-stop, non-stop. It just went on and on and on and I was outside the ground probably an hour and 20 before kickoff and it was going right then, you know, so I was really taken aback by <laughs> how yeah. happy everybody was <laughs> and uh, that really struck me, met some people, listened to the podcast and got some really nice things said, you know, and um, about how we talk about the game and primarily support the club even though we critique now and again we're still supporters and they can tell that and that when you meet the guys who really are supporters you know really really i mean every week home and away there's like a community there um to get that sort of feedback was really quite nice you know the we're, we're all fans really aren't we you know so um that was cool and then the song the singing and the connection do i feel it more away than at home Probably similar, but it's just more intense, much more intense. And I was, I was, I I said to you earlier, this is not my first rodeo. Right? I've been around, I've done home and away many, many times, and I am trying to work out why I feel this way about this group and about this team, and I don't know why. I don't know what's going on with me. Is it me? Is it my age? Is I don't know what's happening, but there is a an investment that's just around the corner emotionally with me that. I'm, I'm finding it difficult to explain, mm. and I don't think I'm alone with that. You know, I I sense we're about to explode. It's on the edge. It could go either way, but if it goes the right way, I don't know what I'm going to do myself, honestly. And I don't know. I think it could be, it could be amazing, and I think – I'm not sure why that is. Maybe you guys can help me articulate that, but there is a feeling of this could happen, and it feels right to happen, and if it does happen – the next phase could be even more exciting. And I think people are, are really starting to like Arsenal football players and the club and the manager. And I think they're starting to like it a lot. And because of that, they're starting to like each other almost. There's a unity amongst the fan base, which mm. is incredible. I'm telling you, mate, I've been many places where you're hugging strangers, but I'm not hugging strangers from four rows back and four rows forward. I mean it's just ridiculous. Mm. I mean it literally is a family thing going on there. And I, I was surprised. And I'm not a child. I've done this before, but I was really taken aback and I just raised my hat to all of them that were at that game.
1: Yeah, it it was, I mean, you look, you can tell even without being there, the intensity, the support going on and, and just it, it, there's no question that the players have connected with it too. I mean, you see the way they come over to the away fans at full time, or even the home fans at full-time, and, and really want to soak it up and soak up the chance. And I think that they're feeding off it. These are young players, you know, a lot of them. And and so I think it means something to them. Paul, the the funny thing is, I, it's been a couple of seasons since our league fixtures this late in the season mattered a lot. You know, I'm trying to think of the lot. I mean, it was probably the, the Emory run-in. And by this point, had we crapped it away, probably not quite yet. Um, But we also had a European final that season. But so I kind of forgot how anxiety-inducing it is when everything rises and falls with a goal going in or not going in this late in the season. And the intensity is something that I've missed, but it's something that I I probably could live without at times. Um, The interesting thing about this game, though, is the last two games, the Chelsea and United games were chaotic. But I think they were sort of high-level games in some ways. I mean, there was a lot of messy poor play but there was also a lot of dynamic play this was i think just a bad low quality game at times it was messy but without this sort of excitement of the previous two passes going astray neither team really coming to grips so i think you had a, a west ham team that was a little stronger than we would have expected and screw david moyes and and declan rice and all of them and i hope they lose 10 nil to frankfurt on thursday but like we we were a bit tentative they were, understandably, maybe not as focused on the game. And I think at least in the first half, what it produced was kind of a low-quality football game. I mean, how do you explain the way we approached the start of the game? Because we were playing a mid-block, we weren't really pressing, we didn't really get the toothpaste up the tube in, in your parlance. So what's your take on just what, what was, I think, kind of an ugly game of football to start with?
3: Yeah, football. eh? Um, so would this not be the definition of a trap game?
1: Um, I mean, it's tough, right? Because to me, the definition of a trap game is the Leeds game, right? It's the home game against a team you're supposed to beat wedged between a run of three difficult games and the Derby. So the Leeds game would be the trap game for me, but your your mileage may vary there.
3: Yeah, no, this one to me felt like a a good candidate, right? Because... West Ham. Because they don't care. (laughs) Yeah, they're not supposed to care. They're not supposed to be good. They weren't. Right. (laughs) Uh, They played a fuller strength side, but not quite full enough. It was like one of those I don't know how good they're going to be. Let's be slightly less crap than them Um, with us, like how how far ahead do we lean into this game how much do we expose ourselves look it was really it wasn't by plan it wasn't by anything i'm i'm pretty sure the plan was to play good football to push to press to make runs for people to drop into spaces but i also think west ham are actually pretty good at clogging things up like this game suited them they made sure that they were not easy to play against that they could conserve a little energy um, so they did their part. They also played poorly <laughs> with the ball, which can be infectious to our plan. Like, there's no real rationale. Uh, having, having had another good look at it, there's no great rationale. There's no analysis that explains to me why both sides just could not pass the ball uh, to each other. I think it's going to be one of those games you write off. The second half was more interesting from an analysis standpoint because we were hitting them on the counter we yep. looked like we're turning into a very very good counter attacking team which is nice um i uh, unlike almost everybody else i was not particularly relatively nervous given the stakes once we went that goal up and we started sitting back i just didn't it felt like control um and that to me along with everything clive's talking about something's different with this group this season you know the fans are different Uh, You just need to change a critical, critical uh, proportion of the fans uh, for that to be different. The relationship with the team, the team's all different. And then talking about this particular game, like there were probably four or five non-starters playing for us, which doesn't help. Still doesn't explain it, but like that's a lot. You get into kind of a a tipping point in terms of number of players. Who don't normally play these games aren't normally starters. Are passing to people who who aren't the normal people. They're there, um, but overall, the one thing I'll take away from this game was once we got that second goal, Gabrielle float or Martinelli, Gabrielle Martinelli floating it into the other Gabrielle. Hmm. Uh, that that was a quality assist, a quality moment. There were a few quality moments, and then like we looked really good. Like the pundits didn't think much of us at halftime. They thought a lot of us at the end of the game because of that level of control, because of the way we played through Eddie, through Played Out. We looked very good once we went up. That's about the only thing you could throw away the rest of this game as like, uh, I don't know what that was and I don't want to think about it too much. It might contaminate (laughs) my thinking, (laughs) Uh, get in the water and mess things up. It was like, it was just low quality. Yeah. it felt trap game-ish, even if it's not the perfect definition of one.
1: I think, look, <laughs> everything is relative in terms of what you're trying to accomplish. And right now, we're trying to get over the line with a lot of key players missing and a lot of players starting games that wouldn't have been in the plan. I mean, no Benjamin White, so holding us to start. He did well and scored, obviously. No Thomas Party, so Elneny's come in. And the plan probably would have been for Samby, but he didn't maybe look ready, so it's Elneny. And no Tierney, so it's Nuno, and you know you look at the team that we're putting out there right now, and it just needs to get three points any way it can now, I look at the second half and the way we played, and like would I like us to have more possession territory control? I mean of course in my in my sort of idealistic view of how you play football, I would prefer to do that, but i I have to agree that we didn't look like we were under a particularly immense amount of pressure. I mean, this game was 0.9 to 0.6 unexpected goals. And, you know, I'm not using that as a stick to beat us in terms of what we didn't create, but more to make the point that West Ham for all the nerves we may have felt didn't really participate in this game as an attacking force that much. Clive, the, the first half did have some moments though, that I want to walk through with you sort of one by one. Cause I think, you know, they're, they, they were important moments and like, the the first thing I wanted to just ask you is like the way we approached this game, we seemed very willing to sit in more of a mid block to try to win the ball back in the middle of the pitch instead of trying to win the ball back higher up the pitch. And I sort of wonder if that decision, if it was a decision, is based on the fact that you lose Ben White and you lose Tierney and you have a reconfigured back line and suddenly your confidence in pushing everybody up the pitch a little more and having to defend in space isn't as high. So you say, you know what, let's let's be a little more considered in, in how we do this, sit in a mid block and protect our defenders a little more, especially given the frailty we saw in our defense in the last two games. So do you have a do you have a sense of whether we were intending to be more of a mid block and, and if that might have been why?
2: Well, I didn't sense that in the in the ground. I sensed mm-hmm. a what I sense were two teams lightly jabbing each other on the chin. You know? <laughs> that's what I sensed. Tickle fight uh, <laughs> and just jabbing and uh, get a bit excited not too excited because we had a couple of roller coaster games we don't want roller coasters anymore uh, and I just sensed that the game was played in the middle of the pitch and they were happy going around and just just moving it forward every now and again and then they would lose it a bit bad pass bad completion and they were a little growing and then we'd do exactly the same and they would do it and, and I just thought we were really conscious of our distances and that's what I sort of got from the game and it looked like a game that was quite compressed in the middle zone and and i'm all right at that really they were looking for a, a sort of force control and just looking for to make sure that we didn't i mean the main night game was was pretty traumatic right and we were at home we can't deal with that away you know we, we can't we need to we need to hold on to our destiny as such by controlling the game but every time we did try to get some combinations going we gave it away and it. And, for, and it's from the reliable people, that's when the nerves came in, really. You know, when I see Shaka giving the ball away as much as he did, that's, that's, that's a concern for me because he
1: Odegaard pretty, did a few times as well. Which
2: yeah, exactly. Cool. He's just half a yard off, and you're sort of watching it. And that's where the nerves came from, you know. And and I think it's it's quite interesting as well. I had this little theory, right? So there was lots of nerves around in in the ground, and but there were more nerves around certain people. So there's more nerves around Nuna, for example. And and when certain players who I think's got credit in the bank, when they make the same mistakes, it's it's like it's okay. It's still a bit of nerves, but it's okay. When there are people that don't have the credit in the bank yet or building their credit, then it becomes a bit more of a trauma, you know? And um I think that's something that we don't quite get when we are doing our thing on the microphone and watching on TV. The nerves really do have an impact to how the crowd react. And there's one thing at the end when, you know, when Sambi had a shot over the bar, right towards the end, and there was a guy behind me going, oh, my God, that's so dumb, that's so stupid, that's why you're doing that. And he was really angry with him. But he wasn't really angry with him. He was angry. It was two minutes ago. He thought he should have took it to the corner. Do, do you know what I mean? And, and this is where the emotions almost overcome your analysis or how you're looking at the game. And when the game ended, he goes, he said to me, Sorry for shouting at Sammy in your ear. <laughs> and he, and man, we all hugging each other. And it's like, and I think that happens a little bit to, to, to Nuno, for example. You know, I watched a, a bit of the game second half again today, and I thought he was. I thought he was okay second half, but in the first half, mate, he was getting it. You know, people are worried about him because they can see the narrative around him, and they're wondering if he's at the right level. And it's, it's what, such what are your an thoughts
1: interest... on, on his his culpability for the goal?
2: Um, on the goal, there's a there's a switch play, right? So Rice has got the ball, no pressure on the ball. You're taught as a defender, there's no pressure on the ball. Make sure you start to drop. Right, so as soon as he drops his head and cocks his leg back, you start to drop. So I looked at I looked at it today. So if you're the fallback, you look inside. Is your centre-back, has he got someone to mark? No. Okay, so you got you haven't got to cover around your centre-back because there's no one to mark. So as he drops his leg, uh, Rice, to go out wide, you should be going out there to, to get it off his first touch. So off his first touch, he can't get his head up and look. And he got over there a bit late. And then they crossed it back in. And because he did it early, really early, Sufowl, it was one-touch hit. We didn't get a chance to reshape in the middle and react. And he found... Bowen perfectly, popped it out, bounced it, and he voted in deflection, right? And Gabriel couldn't get close enough. But you don't get close enough holding style, you don't get the blocking. Right? So it goes in. I, I think so the, the mistake was 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 multiple. Um I don't um I thought it was a good move by West Ham. It sort of worked and they caught us out, you know, but um that's an example of inexperience, shall we say, in in the fullback slot. But there was something else in the game, lads. What was happening was Fournals and Soufal, who plays right back, and bowen were all sort of hanging towards that left. And it was causing Martinelli and Nuno a problem. So what, what was happening was Martinelli was trying to take Soufal, and Nuno was trying to take Fournals on the inside to keep our back four narrow. So you don't split your back four. So your winger comes back and he takes the widest guy. And on this case, Martelli was inside and he wasn't on the outside. So Nuno you know, jogs out there Bob Marley style where you need to get out there, press, really press, and really press his touch. But you're thinking, well, that's not my man. I'll just get out there and try and do my bit. That's the stuff you can coach. Do you know what I mean? You really can. You can coach it from get your shoulders on the angle so you can go out there. So but that's the stuff you can coach. And I felt in the first half we were struggling with the, with those two. We were struggling and they, and they how they were rotating. And they weren't doing much, but just enough to make me nervous. And he was right in front of me so I could see it. Do you know what I mean? And so yeah. that was the problem on that goal edit to be to, to summarize. Yeah.
1: yeah, and and I mean, the interesting thing about that goal is I look at my notes from the game and I have Odegaard bad giveaway, Eddie bad giveaway, Nuno bad giveaway, Bowen goal right at halftime. And I just think that you know possessions are important, right? And as you build a team, step one is just be able to keep the ball. Step two is then have players who can not only keep the ball, but like, receive it on the half turn look up make a progressive pass or carry the ball past the defender all the stuff that thomas party was doing for us and i i just think that if you give possession away too many times eventually eventually you're gonna pay for that and while i don't think we were ever under too much pressure defensively in this game i I thought the way we managed that particular moment because we had scored we were leading halftime is imminent And I just thought it showed a little lack of situational awareness. Look, I know that our style of play is keep the ball, play back to front. But there are times we have to realize this is a time to get the ball away from your goal. And I thought the Odegaard giveaway, the Eddie giveaway, and the Nuno giveaway, all right in that one little cluster of moments before the Bowen goal right at halftime, put us under pressure. We didn't need to be put under, um, you know, at a really critical moment in the game where we can get to halftime with the lead and then figure out how you want to approach the second half. So I thought that was poor. Let's talk about the good stuff in the first half though, Paul, which is the goal. And it comes first from um, Eddie uh, shooting the shots tipped wide around the corner, but it comes after a West Ham giveaway. It's one of the rare moments where we did kind of get the ball high up the pitch. They pretty much just gave it to us. Eddie runs onto it, shoots when there may have been other chances, but he still forces the corner holding gets the goal. And, you know, in general, I just think like we do look like a team that is competent in set pieces, both defensively and in attack right now. And that is such an improvement on where we've been in prior seasons, where forget the vulnerability defensively, but just corner kicks were just a chance for us to turn over possession of the opposite side. So I, I thought that was great. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, the, the buildup leading to the corner and then the goal itself?
3: Um, so Eddie does really well, right? He, 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 When you look at his starting position with the ball, he's basically got a couple of defenders or midfielders in defensive positions, in a position to stop him, another centre-back who can step up. And he just kind of floats his way between them with a a meandering run, really nice. And we saw a lot of that in the second half, his movement uh, around players, his sense of when to cut one way versus another. It's probably the strongest part of his game. And when you think we have him down as, oh, well, he's a fox in the box. He's just a six-yard box guy who'll get on the end of something. Um, it, like He showed that other side to his game. I think he's done it in a couple of games now, where if he picks it up a little deeper, uh, he creates space and opportunity for himself and for others. Um, he had a lot of those well-placed, curving shots on goal. Though, here's my one question on Eddie. I know this isn't quite the nature of the question, but have we ever seen him truly leather it? I wonder if he has, like, the full power that a striker needs to leather. Well, unfortunately,
1: ball. we saw him leather it. Uh, was it against... Was that United, where he slipped in for- by Odegaard with the back heel, and then he just he goes for power instead of placement? Yeah, but that's pretty close to go, right? So it looks... Yeah, you mean instead of his his usual finish is um is the passing try to passing it? Uh, yeah, but oh, he has opening, like opening his foot and passing it in the far corner.
3: Yeah, and he has like four or five of those shots from distance in this. And it, it and I remember that shot he hits off the bar that against Chelsea, where it's kind of a bit of a looper. It's not it's not like Martinelli catches one late on in this game and it's off target. But holy shit, the power! So this this one like Eddie has been great last couple of games and we're all talking them up and we're getting excited about him. That's my one question with him. But what he does have is really nice placements. All of those shots are on target or on and about target or just past the post. And it forces the corner here. It keeps the pressure on and there's a lot to be said for that. I think throughout the game his 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 shots are clean, nice, you know, good shape to them. He shapes up nicely from the edge of the box or outside of the box, but it forces this corner. Uh, Saka with a uh, beautiful delivery, right on the noggin. Uh, the guys all have their assignments. We're, we're very organized. They have who? For, now's The match suit us. The nows is against Holding. He muscles his man nice and early so that there's no question of a foul by the time the ball comes in. Gets his noggin on a first goal for us, for the club, in his six years as a Premier League player. And the first of two from our centre backs in this game, and in the end, it this. The goals all came down in in some form or other to to set pieces or or, or play after set p- pieces. Certainly for us, um, and it's a good way to beat West Ham. You got to find different ways to win, and sometimes you will it. Sometimes it's set pieces. Uh, we've been very very good defensively, and the best teams tend to be good. Get their fair share of. Of uh, set piece goals going the other way, and we did very, very nicely in this. And we probably might have, we might well have struggled to do it any other way in this game.
1: Uh, look, being good at set pieces is one of the clearest things you can see on a pitch of a team being well coached, because it's a it's a marginal game that you can make by working on it. Like set pieces are extremely predictable in terms of whether you're good at them or whether you're not. and Some teams are, I mean, look at Leicester. They're dreadful at defending set pieces, right? Like, if you're well-coached on set pieces, you can get better at them. They are a thing you can improve on purely on coaching. You don't need to have, you know, Thierry Henry. You don't need to have Virgil van Dyke. You can just be better at them, and we are. And I think we deserve credit, and we should give credit for that. Um, I I think we should also point out that Right after we score... Oh, by the way, uh, you got to love the Aaron Ramsdale line at full-time. When asked about Rob Holden scoring his first Premier League goal, he says, it only took him six years and a new hairline. <laughs> got to love it. Um, the banter. The banter between the lads. So, uh, the, the interesting thing is then there was the, the Ramsdale save. And, like, Ramsdale didn't have a lot of work to do in this game. And we've been a little critical of him for some shaky play. He absolutely deserves credit for what I think is not getting enough attention for that insane save that he makes on the corner kick right after we scored. Clive, do you remember the one I'm talking about? They take a corner and it comes in at pace, yeah, bullet deck. on him, but like kind of behind him. It's come it's going to go in under the under the bar. I thought
3: it'd hit bar. it hit the bar. It comes in so hard and he gets such a good hand on it. I thought it would hit the bar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Clive, I mean, that
1: is a brilliant save and for a guy who we have maybe been a little critical of, he deserves he deserves credit for that because that was incredible reflexes.
2: Yeah, flashing save from Declan Rice Header. So, and it was just, I don't know how he read it. It was so close to him. And he got up and he got really, really horizontal quickly and early and flicked it over the bar. And then you see the difference between pros and, and us lot. There's <laughs> 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 a huge difference, lads. That's all I'm saying. I mean, it was shocking stuff. I mean, everyone was just clapping, mouth open stuff, right? It's right in front of us. So, and very important, we didn't need to. Uh, we didn't need to concede at that point. So, um, yeah, it's yeah. it's all good. He, he's yeah, finally. We had himself. that lined up for two minutes later. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, I mean,
1: it is crazy how we can't just hold on to the lead and consolidate for a bit, but whatever. He,
2: um, yeah, he. Uh, yeah, thanks, Paul, for that. Yeah, at <laughs> the time it felt, it definitely felt, like, oh, we can't concede. But yeah, it's. Um, it, I think he is rediscovering himself and people are looking at him and saying, oh, He's like Pickford, he's he's too demonstrative and all the rest of it. And Arsenal fans know that's just who he is. And when I see him getting chippy and having a go at people and shouting, I actually think, yeah, now you're getting back to form. Because when he sort of lost a bit of form, he was a bit quieter. I think he's somebody that knows when he's on it and he gives it. When he's not quite on it, he he becomes more insular. So when I see him start giving it, I think, yeah, you fancy yourself, you're back where you want to be, so... Keep doing it, and don't let those talk sport pundits tell you otherwise.
1: Yeah, he he needs to play with that kind of fire. And Clive, I, I want to talk a little bit about Eddie. Um, there's a lot from the second half I want to get to, and you know I think there's some players who deserve a little bit more individual focus. But let's talk about Enkedia because that's sort of the big talking point right now. And like one of the things that I do sometimes when I'm just by myself is I'll have debates in my own head with myself. And it's funny, right? Because like sometimes you can come across as being very opinionated, but I find myself torn in multiple directions on how to analyze this. Because, firstly, I do wonder to some extent if Lacazette had hit such a nadir in the way he was playing, such a low point in terms of not making passes, not contributing in link-up, not getting shots, that any striker doing a bit of striker stuff was going to look like an oasis in the desert to us. I think in the first half, Eddie Kettia was playing the Lacazette role, TM, was dropping into midfield, trying to link play. And I think there were a lot of moments in the first half where when he dropped deep, his control wasn't right and he gave it away or the pass was sloppy and he, and he was not, in my opinion, really very effective in that role. But I do think Eddie and Kenny is one of these guys that once you get him turned and pointed towards goal, you see what makes him special. He's direct, he's fast, he's strong, and you get him in or around that that box, he gets his shots off, which is something that we have not had. And so in the second half, when, you know, especially when we were playing with a lead and he could just be our entire counterattack. I mean, there were multiple times when the ball was kicked long to him and there was no support. No support from Martinelli, no support from Saka. On his own, did it all by himself, beat guys, got shots off. When he's pointed at goal, and he can just look straight forward and do his thing. I think you see his skill set, and so I, I thought it was a mixed game. And I know a lot of people feel very, very strongly that it was a great game. And I, you know, I, I can't say that you're wrong. I just think that we saw the strengths and weaknesses of the player within the same game. Which is that I don't think necessarily the first half link-up play was very good, but the second half, obviously, he, he got a chance to shine. And the only thing missing is, of course, the finish. And I think for a lot of people looking at what our plans should be for striker in the future, would say, you know, maybe maybe he doesn't have the goals in him ultimately that, that we're going to want. And obviously we don't need to talk about transfers and what to do with Eddie long-term right now. But I'm I'm curious if you saw it the same way, Clive, a mixed performance with a, a first half that had limitations and a second half that was brilliant, or maybe you're more just bullish on the performance overall.
2: Yeah, it was mixed, but he wasn't the only one that had a mixed performance. I, would regard I don't think anybody had a purely yeah, great performance. Um, maybe t- so, Tommy aside, maybe. So if you're looking at it from a pure execution point of view, it was mixed. But within the context of this game, with with the lead-up with Spurs winning, the fact that the, no one in the team was playing really, really well, the fact that we played a little bit of fear and we were trying to keep our distances tight, we were expanding, we weren't being very direct, in the context of this game, he was excellent. He was exactly what we required on the day for the period we needed to see out. And that's how I look at the performance sometimes. It's not what the players does, it's the time of when they do it. If you look at Shaka's performance against Manchester United, I thought he was tremendous. There's been better midfield performances, but we needed it at that time. We were nervous, we were getting done, and he stepped up. He helps cover our left back, he gets a banging shot, he's dictating the play. That's when you judge people, in adversity. When it's going a little bit wrong, who's going to step up? And so, yeah, Eddie's got a few lumpy touches. But when we were just starting to think, are we going to see his game out? He turned into some sort of train. I mean, literally was moving side to side, dropping off, crashing it, smashing people, getting in people's faces. He got better and better and better. And he made my Sunday, right, just by that performance alone. Now, if you want to critique him, so let's talk about him technically, right? And this maybe leads to what Paul's saying here about his shooting. So you could ask, you could query, if you want to talk about what he does, right? let's, Let's go for it, right? He posts. He posts really well, actually, as well as Lacazette. He does three different posts. He posts flat, straight, facing his own goal, shoulder square. He likes to post up dragging the ball to his left-hand side. So he shows, he dummies right and takes it on the half turn, comes left and sweeps it out to the right wing or just turns and runs. Right? So he does the half turn post, which keeps people guessing. And sometimes he shows short and spins in behind. Right? So he's got three different moves and he can execute on all of them. So if he spins in behind, he's got the pace to catch it. If he goes on a half turn, he's got the pace to carry it. He's got the ability on the ball to carry it. And he can post up and he's smart enough. He's as good as a Lacazette and he's as good as a bamyang at the post up moves and keeping the link play going. Mm. So that's the positives, right? The negatives, right? This is my issue with him and has been for a while. And I don't and this may be something that needs to come with coaching. So if you watch his shooting, I want you to watch his standing foot. His standing foot is too far away from the ball, distance wise. And that's why he seems to be kicking around the ball. And that's why he chooses the placing option. Now, when you get power, your standing foot is slightly ahead of the ball and it's tight to your body. You have a tight core and you have a rock-hard ankle. You lock your ankle, you bang your shots. That's what a good power shooter does. That's what Martinelli does. That's what the good shooters, they whip it from the side, they power. But it's all to do with their standing foot position. I promise you now, go and watch the videos again. When he misses his shots, I want you to watch his standing foot at the distance it is away from the ball. It's something I've been looking at for a little while and it's concerning me and I... There are misses and there are misses. Now, I think he has a tendency to want to take the early shot. Now, the early shot is the one that beats the keeper. They're the ones that do it. So I always give him a break when he's trying to do it because I know what he's trying to do. He's thinking, if I take it now, even though I'm not set, he's got a chance of going in. He bounces it in. He does all sorts to get it at that goal. But there's also a technical issue that sometimes when he's not in shape, his shots can be almost slightly telegraphed. And these keepers, you've got to blade, you've got to bleed, you've got to fool them. They can cover the goal. I mean, they're they're amazing, these athletes. You've got to literally give them the eyes and go to the other corner. And where he is in his development and experience and assurance, he's telegraphing a few of them too much. But I can't really critique him given what he did. It's good to Kurt Zuma, didn't look quite fit to me. But what he did to him, moving him laterally and taking for runs down the side. Was it six shots on target? Was yeah. that was that uh, the right just number?
1: Six six shots, not on target, but yeah, six, six
2: shots. shots. Mm-hmm. Six shots.
1: To be fair, five of them may have been on target. I think.
2: Yeah, I'm here for that. Do you see what I mean? I'm here for that. And one of the shots that to the corner in the first goal. The one he killed past the post. I mean, that was minimum that he deserved that moment. But that's the stuff he's got to do to convince people. You know, that's the stuff he's got to do. Now this isn't to be made about him. Um, personally, I'm deferring that discussion in my own mind.
1: Yeah, let, let's defer that because it's, yeah, it's a big one and I want I want to give it its due. Um, yes. Probably not right now. Yeah.
2: All right, mate. I totally understand. I'm deferring it in my own mind anyway because I don't care. I only care about the next games that are upcoming and we need him playing like this. We really, really do because he creates problems for other people and he gives room to other players who can do things. And I think he's a very, very important player, whether it be for an hour. I don't care. He's very important. And he's a guy with a shirt. And he absolutely deserves it at this moment in time. And these little technical bits, I don't, almost don't care about them. I just care about if he plays with that level of desire and thoughtfulness and lack of fear to uh, to really get around his man and give him a hard time, that's only going to mean good things for Russell Football Club. That's what I'm concerned And it's not just
3: willingness to run, is it, Clive? It's he know like all those runs were really clever. How he pulled a defender with him when he made his moves, when he cut across people. I mean, it's, it wasn't just oh, young guy willing to run fast.
1: That one where no. where uh, El Nenny finds him uh, in the second yeah. half. It's a brilliant pass from El Nenny, which yeah. you know, credit Two to runs. him because we don't think of that. But that run is. It's so, beautiful. Across the defender, well timed. It's perfect.
2: So this is something I, I, I see at the level I'm at, and I, I've learned it from watching strikers. And as El Nelly's coming out on the on the right side, he naturally goes furthest away from him. And and that's really that's really clever. That's to really get into the blind side. And I don't know that's that's a striker thing. I, I that's not something in my coaching head. I've seen it a few times. So it's not an accident what he did there. It's not an accident. He's just not running about. He's doing that on purpose to get onto that side, furthest away from the ball carrier, on the blind side of the defender, so he can chop it, come back on his strong foot, and finish. Yeah. You know, and fair play to him. He deserved that goal. But those details, those fine details, are the reason why we're probably going to end up going into the market because we need someone to finish that shot. I don't, yeah. if you saw, I don't know if you saw Son's goals at the weekend.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, he's he's yeah? A, a, unfortunately and, uh, a hell of a vein of form right
2: now. And, actually- and once he chopped inside on his wrong foot, he puts it in top corner. And this is what we need to do. And it's not a critique. It's just like where are we going to go? We I, I want twenty points extra. I'm sure you guys do. That's where we're heading. How are we going to get there? Are we going to get there by? We we have to get there by lifting the quality. Now, can we develop that quality? I don't know. But I will say yesterday I was singing his name with and I tell you and apologizing on the instant reaction because he put in the performance that was
1: required. Are you for kidding the, me? It's a yeah, I mean, scenario. I, I think unfortunately, because we are inclined to want to love our players or hate our players for some reason, that we we wind up deciding they're brilliant or they suck. And like I can look at that any performance and think he gave us he gave us something we absolutely needed to get through that game, and I don't think we'd get through that game without him. I can also look at a first half where there were giveaways that hurt us. There was linking play that didn't come off. There was a snapshot in the penalty box. He got the ball in the right uh, right channel, in the box, totally unmarked, with our Arsenal players in the box supporting him, and took a snapshot early that that was not well taken. You know, he he then, the second half, comes alive running at goal and, and gives us the outlet that we haven't had in so long that helps us win this game. And it's okay for things to be a little bit of a mixed bag. They don't have to just be amazing or crap. And, like, right now, he's giving us something Lacazette couldn't give us, and it's helping us get through this period, and we are lucky to have it. Whether or not it's the full bag of tricks, you know, I, I don't think anybody would say it's the full bag of tricks, but for right now, that's not the key. The key is to get through it. Um, You know, I mean, you could say, for example, like Pepe. Nicola Pepe is probably a better shooter, but he doesn't have the full bag of tricks either, and so he doesn't play. So, you know, it's all a little bit about what what positives you bring to the pitch that a manager wants to see in the team and what negatives you have that can be mitigated that a manager can live with. And Eddie is clearly getting that balance right now for Mikel, and and it's working out for us. I want to move on, but Paul, I don't want to freeze you out of the Eddie thing. So real quick, the other thing that I, I loved about Eddie is there's a personality to the way he was playing. Yeah. You know, there's times when Arsenal get accused of being meek and we're a young team and you can understand how that could happen. And like, we've also seen times when Arsenal do try to stand up for themselves or do try to show a bit of, of steel that it's, that it crosses the line. I think in does really well when Declan Rice seems determined to a waste time for his team, trying to win the game. B, pick a fight with a guy he's known since he was nine years old. I, like, I have no idea what was going on there. I saw a hilarious tweet about it. Like, if you look at the video, he's like, Rice is saying saying like, who the F are you or something like that? And like, they've known each other forever. He knows exactly who he is. Like, I thought kedia got in their heads, had the right combativeness at the level you need to be locked in to be a pest, but not to cross the line. And that steel, that metal that we're going to need to get through this run... I think he, he got the balance just right.
3: Yeah, I think Eddie has striker's mind. Like, you can have the skills, you can have the ability, but he's like he's got the mentality of a striker. And there's the good and the bad side to it. Sometimes you see his body language and it seems to be a bit too much about him, but that's kind of how strikers are. Because when the ball comes to them in that moment, in that pocket, they need to be thinking they're the guy, they're the man. We've seen some of the downside of that in other games. In this game, look, it really played to our advantage because when he got the ball in the spotlight, um, he did what he needed to do. He was cool, calm. There's a poetry and an art and a beauty about his movement. Um, I've Like, those people who, who coo about Eddie and always have um, I think that's what—that's the thing that really moves them, why he's not just... There's so little evidence to go, go on. Why do people get excited about Eddie? There is an, a real kind of beauty about his play, um, but he has that striker's mind, and uh, there's a lot of history between Rice, most of which we don't know. I think Rice thinks he's top dog, that they've had history together, and who is this young... Uh, Pip Squeak, he knows who he is they were in the england set up together they came up together uh, i suspect rice was maybe more ahead more senior um and saw this as disrespect impudence and eddie uh cool uh, cool and collected like his character on the wire knew exactly what he was doing uh Knew how to handle himself. Knew that not saying anything was the real needle here. He'd mutter a couple of things. Rice was he'd lost his fucking mind, and like yeah, all I know
1: what was going on there. Yeah,
3: and, and Eddie had him, and Eddie slowly roasted him, and it was it was lovely to see, and it cost them time. It cost them the opportunity to get that goal. Uh, yeah, he 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 kind of turned him on a spit there. Ju- just a little bit, just a word, just a look was enough to, to send rice off. And, uh, like, Eddie's got something. He's just, like, y- your Chuba palms other guys who've had skills and abilities coming through, Eddie mentally has something. He just, he, he's <coughs> going to have a career. Where well, he has it, how high. It, he's going to have a good career. I just don't know if he'll have a great career, but that's the conversation for another time. I, would, I I, would I think, think like he this, might, by the way.
1: I think there are sort of three components to being an elite footballer at the Premier League level. One is having the physical tools, the actual raw athleticism without which you cannot do it. The other is having the mentality, literally the, the mental fortitude to be able to be as focused and committed and determined as it takes to compete at that level, which not everybody has.
3: And to be cold when then, others are hot. Yeah. Yep.
1: And then the other one is the technical skill. And I think, in terms of physical attributes, Eddie has it. I think in terms of mentality, he has it. Whether the technical skill is quite at that top level, that, that'd be my question. Clive, why don't you add on Declan Rice real quick because I want to um, i want to get to some of the, the other moments in the second half that are worth talking about before we look ahead a bit.
2: Yeah, I, I think um, uh, you're right about it, Eddie. I, I, the technical side is, is an interesting one. I think it comes more when he feels relaxed and when he feels comfortable at the level. Playing on twenty one, so you could say it's a lower level. But mate, he know when he's the, when he feels like he's a boss, he he plays like it. You know, and I think he's maybe starting to feel more comfortable with us and realizing that hey, I've got a chance here. And he's given it some. Whatever happens, he's going to get a bigger contract here, wherever he stays or wherever he goes. So that will take care of itself. On Declan Rice incident, and that was an interesting one because Declan Rice first time I've seen him live, probably. I, no, I saw him when went to he came to Arsenal as a centre half. In his early West Ham days, and I thought he was rubbish. Right, <laughs> and they moved him in the <laughs> centre midfield, and um, and and he got he got better, and he played for Ingram. I thought he was okay. I thought gonna played him in the wrong position. I thought he played him as a six. He should have been he should have been the eight, and Kevin Phillips behind him. But hey, there you go. That's my okay. thing. But seeing him in this game. He is a big unit that bestrides the midfield really does he gets it he intercepts he carries he passes he can run and shoot he can switch play there is i know this may not be news for everybody but it's he's a player and he's quite <laughs> he's not quite that but he's a player <laughs> and uh don't be silly right so uh, and um, <laughs> and and he's a player and, and i felt he wanted to impose himself on eddie because he was big than him and he was saying, look, mate, I'm the man here. This is my town. I run this area. And he tried to give it to Eddie and tried to shame him. And Eddie was just quite cool. And then the Arsenal player said, nah, we're not having that. We're not having that at all. And they came running over the hills. I mean, literally all arrived at the same time. And it got really tasty. And I thought, and I love that. I don't, don't leave one of your boys out there alone to be abused by your opposition. They all came piling in and Mike Dean can't book them no all. Right? So um, that's what you do, and I thought I was really pleased to see that. Stand up for your mates. You, make sure nothing happens to them. And Eddie was leading them a dance, and that was a. If you want confirmation of how well he was playing, well, that was a moment that told you he was the one they could not stop on the day.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the player that winds up the opposition is probably having a pretty good day. Um, one of my favorite moments, not not in football, but just in life, is when the new Manscape promos drop. Because look, normally I just tell you whatever I have in my mind about Manscaped, but there's that moment when they send me the new copy, and I, I just always like to see what's going on in the minds of the copywriters over at Manscaped. So let me just give this to you because we are now into the summer copy despite the fact that it is 39 degrees Fahrenheit, about 3 degrees Celsius where I live. Summer is here, is it? The sun is shining, shirts are off, and your balls are smooth. You heard that right. Your friends at Manscaped are here to make sure your beach balls are as smooth as Floridian sand. Yikes. In summer, you want to kill some cold beers and barbecue, not kill the vibe with pubes peeking out of your swim trunks. Oh, my God. That's why Manscaped has a performance package 4.0 to keep the party in your pants, looking crisp and refreshing all summer long. Dive headfirst into the summer by joining 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer or hot girl summer, come on, by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with promo code Arsenal Vision. So now I can tell you the performance package. Well, what do you get? You get the lawnmower 4.0, which is the trimmer, the weird weed whacker, which does ears and nose hair, the crop preserver, which is a deodorant, the reviver toner, the boxers, the travel bag, all of it, all of that is in the performance package. You already know the lawnmower; It's got the skin safe technology. So you cut the hair and not your body um you know that's it got a long battery life it's wet dry works in the shower go do it now get 20 percent off and free shipping with code ArsenalVision at manscape.com 20 percent off and free shipping with code ArsenalVision at manscape.com this is the summer to turn your package into the full package with manscape okay i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did now there's no i in team but there is an i in indeed and that's the hiring partner you need to build your team when you're hiring you need indeed Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours, literally hours, on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. With their instant match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job post, according to Indeed data. And I think that this is important, right? Because like the one thing I can say, you go on a job site, like as a a person looking for a job, you don't know what to apply to. Are they going to like me? Am I going to get through their algorithm or whatever? But when a company, when you have the ability to invite someone to apply, like that that tells them that you're interested in them, I think it produces a better result. And that's why instant match is three times more likely to get people to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search according to Indeed data. And remember, you only pay for applications that meet your must-have job requirements. Start hiring right now with a $75 job credit, sponsored job credit, to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Pay per qualified applicant not available for all users. Need to hire. You need Indeed. And as a final moment, arguably... My favorite thing that we get to talk about is helping one another, being a better community for one another, loving one another, and treating each other with respect. And the best thing you can do is treat yourself with respect. You can do that by doing the work. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life can be overwhelming and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Symptoms can include a lack of motivation, feeling helpless or trapped, detachment, fatigue, and more burnout is... I think it's a condition that we don't talk about as a condition. It's just something, oh, I'm I'm tired, I'm worn out, I don't feel great. But you know, that's normal. I'm supposed to feel that way because I work or I have kids or I have all these priorities in my life. Burnout is something you can work on. You can get help. Um, you know, I, I I have done the therapy thing, and as someone who's done it, I cannot tell you how important it was and how helpful it was. BetterHelp has specialists too that you may not find in your area. Better help is not. Like just um, a questionnaire or a group chat, it is licensed therapists helping you with specific problems through video chat. Or if you don't want to do video, you don't have to do that as well. So uh, BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under forty-eight hours. Arsenal Vision listeners get ten percent off their first month at BetterHelp.com/slash Vision. That's better, dot com slash vision. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, I, uh, I did the therapy thing, and I got to tell you, it worked great for me, and I hope that people do not have any kind of stigma around that because it is, uh, it is something that can make a big difference. So, Paul, I, I want to just discuss one thing that I think makes it hard to talk about a football game like this sometimes and performances because this was a sloppy game at times. It wasn't a particularly beautiful game. And that means there's a lot of things not happening. We're really good at seeing something that happens and then analyzing what happened. What can be hard is analyzing things that didn't happen. So like ugly wins. And Arteta did call this an ugly win. I think he said in England, you you have an expression, ugly win, we won ugly. And it's important and you have to be able to do that. There's always the cliche, you know, good teams, title winning teams, whatever, have the ability to win ugly. But you look at the stuff that you can see happening instead of the stuff that wasn't happening. What am I trying to say? Great question. Never very clear. What I'm trying to say, Paul, is that like we struggled to keep the ball. We struggled to progress the ball. We struggled at times to get a measure of control. And I do think that the Shaka at Elneny midfield has helped us manage our way through these last few games. I thought we saw some limitations of it in this game, not in terms of what they were doing that you could see, but maybe in terms of the stuff that wasn't being done. And I think Elneny, who deserves huge credit for coming in and giving us a measure of solidity and, and reliability in midfield, at least in the first half, and for stretch in the second half where he kind of went missing, made it made it a little easier to shut us down. You know, I, I think what's happening now is teams are saying, All right, we're gonna, we're gonna put two guys on Shaka, we're gonna press the ball off Shaka, keep him from getting it, and we're gonna ask a Rob Holding or a Gabriel or an El to beat us. And that wasn't happening in this game. So I'm curious how you look at the dynamic of the midfield because I'm not suggesting we should go back to Samby. I mean, he has looked pretty green, and that's understandable. But I do think we saw in this game, maybe not in the moments that happened, but in the moments that didn't happen, if you see what I'm saying, a, a lack of that control and ball progression um, because I'm not quite sure we're getting it at this point.
3: Yeah, I I mean, I think in – well, I did. In our instant reaction podcast, I, I, was, I was frustrated with our use of the ball and our – our technical quality on the ball and I kind of needed to pick a fall guy and I apologetically picked Elneny and I think it's a little harsh. I don't, I think actually he was probably one of the cleaner players with the ball. Um, He's generally kind of a safe option, but I just felt we needed more in this game. Well, it was obvious to everybody we needed more in this game and we needed it from midfield. That's kind of Chaka's job. He did some of it, but he was as untidy as anybody, especially in the first half. It's just low quality everywhere. And in a game like that, you want some technically clean leaders. Odegaard himself was a little messy uh, with the ball, or a lot messy with the ball. Uh, I give him the excuse that Rice was watching him, he was watching Rice, and Rice certainly kept him quiet. He did, yeah. Yeah, and I think generally they knew where our danger side was with Odegaard and with Saka there. And they loaded up on that side with Rice and others. And so you can cut Odegaard a little bit of a break there. And, of course, Elneny's on that side. So if it's getting a bit clogged up on that side, maybe it wasn't his side that really had the chance to open it up. But I I think between him and, you know, another fellow on his side is holding. You know, we, we missed a lot with uh, Ben White, that that calm on the ball, the decision-making. And, you know, neither Alneny nor Holding were actually uh, our worst offenders, but, like, something was missing in this team. And when the water kind of goes down a bit and you start to see the rocks, uh, you know, we do lack a little midfield mobility. We lack a guy there who can break a line and dribble. Uh, you, you see it with Rice on the ball. Like in the same game, I mean, he cut us open three or four times and he's swinging the ball left and right. And Chaka did a little bit of it, but not enough. Elneny in the second half has that eye-catching ball <coughs> um, to um, mm, oh, Eddie.
1: And Kedia. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. That, was, that, that was a brilliant pass. Yeah.
3: It was. So the, there were moments, but those moments kind of, Tell you what, you didn't have in that first half. Just nobody. On the other hand, we weren't pressing upfield. People weren't finding spaces and pockets. I do think part of the issue with this double pivot um, uh, when we play Martinelli is like that's really the the Smith Rowe role to drop in there and get Nuno up that wing. And we just I don't think Martinelli, Chaka, and Nuno works as well. As Smith Rowe on that side, because it's Smith Rowe you want coming in there, picking up the ball. Martinelli was very quiet in the first half. I think it's all just a bit related. Um, the left side wasn't clicking, so the what our right side was under more pressure where El was, and you know he can look at he he was clean enough, but he can be a bit ordinary. We know that. As long as the rest of the team's functioning, that's a rock that doesn't show under the water. You know, he's he's not a dribbler on the ball. He's not going to ask questions of the other team. He's going to keep it ticking along, but they kind of clogged up that side. He had holding behind him, so without Ben White, we had Tommy Yasu. Tommy probably didn't have the legs to get forward. So I think in another game, a little more quality, Tommy able to get forward a little bit more, and maybe Smithrow um Nuno and Chaka works better on the left um as cuz Nuno can bomb forward Smithrow can rotate into that spot and Chaka can kind of cover the run when they bomb forward works just a little better better than like Martinelli didn't really have a game he had a great moment and I think he did some good pressing around his assist uh, just before and after, but and and he was very useful when we sat in. He's very good at covering Nuno with his intense uh, run backs in the second half. But um, I think a little more quality, uh, Tommy, a little fitter, and making some runs on that side, and the the ordinariness of the El Neni game is much less of an issue for us.
1: Yeah, Clive, I, I want to dig into this a little bit because I this goes back to my point earlier about. <laughs> we're looking for heroes right now and because we're winning i think we're we're finding heroes in everyone on the pitch and they deserve it right i mean i said this in another podcast if miguel arteta gets us over the line to the champions league somehow with you know el neni and enkedia and cedric and nuno tavares and rob holding you know that would be incredible not because those players aren't are bad players they're not clearly but because none of them are players that we necessarily thought could take us to that level and now they're all playing at once and they're all being asked to do it and like i i, I do think that he is a great example of someone that I I kind of want to like give him the big slap on the back and and thank him for the great work he's doing coming in and just sort of completing 90% of his passes and keeping us in games. But like we are going to have games like Leeds at home and Everton at home, maybe less so Newcastle away, but to some extent where the onus will be on us to break down probably deeper defenses and be a little more proactive and creative. And so there is going to be a need to, to get a little more out of our game from midfield. I'm curious how you see how you balance the fact that we are functional and getting it done right now versus maybe some of the, the qualities that have gone out of our game since, you know, the really, really good run, or does it not even matter? Cause we're so close to the finish line. You
2: know? Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And the great thing about football is every game is different. Right? And so I think there are games to really sort of analyze and there are games that just happen and you win the moment, right? and, me use the term flow and moments. We're a team that when we're all happy, we flow through the pitch and we can all see what we do and we love it. We take it. The ball arrives just when we want it to. We take it right in stride and we flows through us out the other side switch the point of attack, get our isolations, get our little pockets going, pop, 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 shot. We all love that. We clap, go and have a couple of drinks in the Tollington. Thank you very much. Yeah, sounds right. good. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, it doesn't, and then West Ham turn up, you know, thinking, and then, and they stand in the places where you want to play. And so we're forced to pass the ball to standing bodies and the passes goes wrong. And and that's it. I looked at the pitch and I thought, El then was absolutely fine. He's one of the better ones, actually. And, and and I'm looking at it thinking, that's just today's game. So how can we overcome it? You know, they're trying to pick on Nuno's on side. They're trying to – I thought Tom Yassi was absolutely fantastic, by the way, in one-on-ones. My goodness, he just sorts everything out. Um, and I just look at the game and think, okay, that's today's game. It's crap. You know, it's going to happen. you play, you played 40-odd games this season. It's going to happen. Can we come out on the right side of it, right? And that's that's all that matters. Who's going to show up for the 10 minutes they need to show up in? That's literally it. That's literally it. And I think we naturally need, you know, we like to look at the game and see if we can see any trends or analysis or anything like that. But there are some days you just need to be happy, right? You need to be happy. And I ask myself the question, yes, we critique these players sometimes, but I looked at the Spurs team sheet yesterday and I see players like Emerson Royale and and mm-hmm. Cessignon <laughs> and Hoiberg and Davis and Dyer. I'm thinking, why do they deserve to be where we want to be? And if I'm doing the team talk to our players, I'm saying, mate, don't let those players walk into the promised land over you because you're better than them. And you know when you're comparing defectiveness of, of an Nenny then I compare him to a Huiberg and I say to myself, there's no there's no difference there. Why does he deserve it? It's a really and, fair
1: point. Yeah. And,
2: I, and I think we just gotta start looking at this in with the right eyes, you know? Now come Sunday against Leeds, we might need a flow in performance. It's gonna be an end-to-end. Leeds do tend to leave bigger spaces, not quite as reckless as they were before. But it's gonna be high energy and it's gonna need a level of flow. It's gonna need a level of support. They won't be sitting in and it will be about execution. It will be a much higher pace, much more energetic than yesterday's game, which was turgid, slow, sloppy, lumpy. West Ham went straight late on. Rob Holding looked fantastic because of straight balls to his head, thank you very much. You know, and it was just one of those ugly games that we just caught the end of. And when I was sitting there nervous, or standing there nervous, I didn't sit down because I um, <laughs> standing there nervous, I looked at the West Ham stands and they were all walking out with five minutes to go. And that told me actually we're in more control than we actually were than I felt. Sorry, and uh, you often tell I often hear me say the other team they ran out of ideas. They sort of said you know, we can't get past this team, and West Ham fans could feel it. Do you know what I mean? And um, so yeah, just take this game. It isn't one. It isn't one for the annals. It isn't one for Scott's pass maps. It isn't one for Scott's numbers. Though. I just had a look at them and they look pretty. Look pretty good. I don't know how he does that stuff so well. Um, it's one for we did it next one we did it next one throws one away next one one's all that counts who's injured who's fit who needs a rest who needs to can we get ben white's tight hamstring back for this game because i think we miss his assurance even though we've got something else and rob holding if ben white's going to miss a game this was the one to miss because that was a rob holding game and he was brilliant he's blocking the first half oh my goodness it's fantastic and so Back to the squad. Back to using the squad appropriately. If we're gonna, and I think we go again against these and I think it could be massive weekend next weekend, absolutely huge. And then dare we start to think? I mean, no, oh my dare God, dare we start to think? I, I, I'm struggling emotionally. <laughs> I'm struggling, struggling, struggling to hold this down, and to do what the players need to do, is taking one game at a time.
1: But yeah. um, that's uh, where we Clive, are. I'm going to tell you something. I, I think. In the same way that towards the end of the season, you know, your, your sort of micro focus on tactics and process goes out the window and it's all about results, maybe the analysis needs to go out the window a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe the worrying about can we be a little more progressive in midfield? Can we get someone, you know, to step past his marker a little bit more? Can we do, you know, can we get a center forward who does this instead of that? Like maybe that has to go out the window because I find yeah. myself. We need to go critic- all
3: soft factory.
1: I do well. I find myself like losing. It's funny, right? Because for three quarters of the season, I, fi- I think that I tend to be, you know, more focused on the analytics and the process, and you know the the well, probably makes the sense, harder factors. It? Yeah, but by now I'm I'm as sucked into this. Anyone? Anyway. I want like Mohamed El to sign a six year deal and Eddie and Encedio to start up front for us next season, and like I'm in. I'm buying in completely because these players are getting it done, and so I, I feel that there's some responsibility analytically to say like, all right, well, you know, can we dig into this and and find a better way? But maybe. Now it's not the time for that. Maybe now is the time for just saying, pat him on the back, sing the songs, be completely wrapped up in what's happening, and, and hope it, it continues. Now, in terms of it continuing, one thing that I hope continues, Paul, is the calls go our way. And the calls are kind of going our way, if we're being honest. Uh, I love Bowen getting a yellow card for diving, and I'm sure there are <laughs> some fans who he, think he deserved a yellow card for diving. I'm sort of the opinion that like that's a classic case of, What do you want the player to do? Not have legs there? Because I don't know what else he's supposed to do. It's a risky decision from Ramsdale. It all came off in the end, so I'm happy with it. But, like, it's not the first risky decision we've seen from him lately. What's your take on the the Bowen-Ramsdale incident?
3: I think we are a very, very lucky boy. Um, (laughs) I think Bowen at every right. uh, Paul,
1: if there is any better indication that top four needs to be ours it's things like mike dean giving us calls (laughs) at the tail end of the season like it's just crazy who would have guessed isn't mike dean retiring and he is and he's on like a record number of red cards he had a chance to give another one there but no and isn't
3: this his way of saying arsenal i'm sorry i'm sorry i screwed you year in year out here's a little something back a little wink from me to say i screwed you I'm it. letting you off. Uh, Bowen should have hooked his leg around Ramsdale, and we would have been all in all sorts of trouble. He did he jumps out of his way, he hurdles him, you can, you know, and even if he didn't, just looking at it from our side, it was nuts. But then uh back to the point of um this is about narrative, soft fact like I do actually think there's a tremendous amount of sense in being very, very analytical at the start of a season. And very, very not analytical in the last five or six games because at the end of the, the season, the team is what it is. They've got what they've got. They play the way they play. And um, like, that's it. It's like XG, like getting overly analytical about it um, in the early days kind of makes sense till you see the pattern. And then that's where you're at. And then soft factors are not can be a a a driver but they're more i think they're more a lagging factor when things are good in your team your soft factors start to look good confident like confidence doesn't come from nothing right uh you're a fool if you're confident and you've got no competence ability um is
1: that the dunning kruger effect that we're discussing here
3: very possibly um very confident fellow dunning kruger not a lot of people know that um but he was very competent um
1: So, like the reason it's a cognitive bias where people with low ability at a task overestimate their ability. Says the best podcaster in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you don't need
3: to tell me. You did. Um, So, um, like, I just think it makes perfect sense to be very, very analytical early on, like like XG is to work out what your team is and then later on it's about execution which is largely about softer factors because you are who you are you've established your patterns your way of play and it's about getting out there and doing it so it is the it is more about the did we or didn't we play our football we know what our football is at this point um what was the question? Oh, the tackle. So, yeah, um, back to the tackle. Look, I think here's a soft factors answer for why. the. I think there's a reason the calls are going our way, because we look the part, right? We actually have a bit of confidence. People are expecting us to win games. It's not like uh, uh, like the the old narrative of you don't expect Arsenal to close out a game. I do. There was a reason I was. I am less nervous now watching this team playing, is because I saw what I've expected. We see it time and time again: these guys closing out games against United, against Chelsea, um, against these lads. Uh, so, like something has changed here, and I'm not surprised that maybe the sense of fragility about us. Sure, we look fragile every time we score a goal, but the other thing is we score first. So we start we didn't quite start as strong as we'd like to, but generally, we start we start well, we press, we have a period of intensity, we get a goal, We establish ourselves as pole uh, in, in the race, and that has a certain confidence, a certain swagger. referees expect us to be leading and don't expect to have to give a decision that takes it away from us. like, I don't want to lean into it too much, but it doesn't hurt. The psychology between you, the other team, the crowd, uh, and the referee—that you're starting to establish—that we look like the top four team, that we look like we can get there, that we're supposed mm. to be ahead, we're supposed to be winning, we're supposed to be getting decisions, and we are.
1: Yeah, and look, I mean, this is where I think also you game state can matter, and yep. like for example, do I think that the group we had out there? is well-suited to playing from behind with Elneny and Chaka in midfield and Eddie up front. And, you know, if West Ham could sit in and defend and counterattack, like, no, I don't think that would have been ideal. But that's not what happened, right? We found a way to lead. We found a way to lead the second time. And then they had to chase the game. And that suited who we had out there, players that could keep the ball a little bit, not a ton, but just enough, players who could provide an outlet on the counter. That was great. I, I think the player, though, who stood out for me in this game maybe as having the best game of anybody, and I know everybody wants to pat El Nenni on the back right now and Eddie and Kenya, but Clive, I think Tomiyasu is just an extraordinary shutdown defender on the right hand side. And like he wasn't just doing that, he was stepping around people and he was bringing the ball forward and he was passing the ball forward. But what a luxury. You know, when you look at Nuno on the left and he's going to have those moments, he's going to have those issues. It's not always going to be easy for him to have someone on the right. Who just shuts that side down? You can't get past me. You're not getting the cross in. You're not beating me to the byline. You're not beating me to the inside. It was great to have him back, and it, it's good news. It sounds like that he, I think, was just cramping up at the end there because he was holding his calf. And of course, I went full whiskers. But Clive, like, what did you think of, of the Tomiasso performance? Do you think I, it, it's as good as I thought? Because like, I, I just think if we're gonna continue to play with Nuno, which is fine, being able to have that right hand side locked down like that makes a big difference.
2: Yeah, Tommy to Yasu for me, for me, he's, he's, close his, he's close to signing of the season. If he was fit, he would already, already be that player um, for us because I think he's just transformed us. I think he's uh, an enabler. how have say it before. I think he enables everything. And when you have that ability to just shut down a side, and normally a lot of teams attack left, you know, they'd like to attack that side. They load up on that side. We do the same thing. And... That guy needs to be. He needs to know his onions when it comes to defending, and he absolutely does. And what I find surprising with him, that when he does come back after layoff, he's almost exactly the same from minute one.
1: Yeah, that was yeah. incredible. I mean, he hasn't
2: played. It's just like everything's there. It's uh, I wasn't so surprised high. though, Clive. Do you
3: remember the first game he played for us? He just stepped off a plane from Japan, right? He didn't <laughs> yeah, know anybody. Exactly. He didn't speak the language. He was just ready.
2: He's just ready, and and the only time he wasn't ready was the time when he wasn't ready when he was injured, and we brought him back too soon. I think against Liverpool, and that was a costly mistake, and something we mustn't do again. I mean, that's why we've really taken our time with him this time. He's just sharp, both feet, head up, balls coming. He knows where it's going. First time, move it quickly because you give him the person who's receiving it more time on the ball. Move it sharp. Get up behind it. Don't overextend. Only overextend when you don't see anybody ahead that you need to run around on. You don't need to do it on this day because they're trying to they're trying to pin you on your side and and really try to affect Holding to stay with Holding, stay alongside him. That's your game today. You know what I mean? And get Saka far away, and we try to clip Saka from from the center of the pitch or Holding directly. So he just solidifies everything and. I love looking at fullback I love that type of fullback on one side and I like a progress on the other side if anything I wanted to to do more he did one run in the second half when he ran the outside he just pushed it and ran I want to see more of that he tends to want to to do that more at home and I want him to be set free you know to really push teams to really stretch teams and to really be the chaos guy he is to have the solid guy on the other side but in this game we didn't seem to want to do that we were a little bit tentative so um Yeah, Elliot, I think if I project forward, there are games for that player. And he's like, I did a little tweet the other day about similarities between the City squad and our squad. And to me, he's our Carl Walker, unbeatable defensively. He's that guy you always play in the big games defensively. But there are other games when, like city would play like a Anitachenka Shevchen- uh, his name is on the other side obviously Cancelo does it and he's there like their creative attacker but there's a time where you might need a more of an all court creative attacking right back for when we're really good at home and we can do we can share the games we need one more play in there but Tommy coming back is a blessing we need him for son don't we let's be honest we need him for Son. Him against Son, I feel pretty good about it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that will make a big difference. And and I yeah, I just I think it was brilliant. Two more points to get to before we get out of here. I think one is Gabriel Martinelli. Like, I, look, I don't think either wide forward had a particularly fantastic game. Uh, Saka was Saka, though. I mean, he still had. I think he had a shot near post save that led to the corner kick that um, that we got the second goal from. So, good work by him. And Gabriel Martinelli, like, his delivery to Gabriel eyes for the goal is brilliant. Like, that's really, really good stuff, and we don't win the game without it. So, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to belittle that contribution. But, Paul, I am curious, your take on, on his involvement in general. I can understand why our left-hand side, you know, has struggled at times to be involved, whoever it is. I mean, I think Smith Rowe, who's had a brilliant season scoring goals has sometimes been peripheral in games. I thought Martinelli was very peripheral in this game. You can understand Odegaard's drifting to the right. Eddie and is not a facilitator per se and Nuno is a bit of a chaos agent to say the least. So there's less there's less access to that left side forward than there is to the right side one. I just um I don't know how to evaluate this because I I thought he could give us more. I thought by the end he looked completely shagged out and and didn't have anything left to give. But I'm wondering if you you know, if you have a a, a good view on his performance, because I'm not totally sure how to how to evaluate it. I think if I had to guess, it's probably the kind that we'll see Smith Rowe get his, his place back in the next game. Paul on mute, almost made it through the. Post- I'm sorry. Case. I'm no, sorry.
3: Um, look, I think it's actually a conversation about Nuno at the end of the day, because the more time you're using Nuno as a wing back attacking down the wing, <clears throat> the more it makes sense having him on the pitch and the more time he's spending as a defender, uh, the less it makes sense. And the, if Tommy can stay fit at uh, Tommy Yasu and you then have effectively a back three when you need it there with the two centre-backs giving the platform to get Nuno forward, Chaka spinning the ball up to him, Smith Rowe rotating into the kind of 8-10 spot there. That works, and it doesn't. I just don't think I've seen it work as well with Martinelli. Um, They're almost rivals for that space. Um, And it was in this game. It was Nuno trying to give the width, but uh, you know, maybe the thing that hurt Martinelli the most was the fact. What hurt everybody the most, which is the passes weren't coming, so you stopped making the runs. It was all just clunky and, and clogged up. I do think it was knackered at the end. And that's, that's a good thing uh, because he did show his value um, covering that left side. And like we were very secure down the Nuno side. There was one point in the first half where they had three guys over on Nuno's side trying to hurt us down that side. It was where they got the goal. It was where they were going to try and hurt us in the second half, as Clive rightly points out. They tended to go a bit more direct. I think they got tired, to be honest. That was a part of why we looked so secure at the end. But we also you know, we kept Nuno's side well nailed down and Martinelli deserves lots of credit for that. <clears throat> so I can see Rowe starting and hopefully when we've gone our goal or two up uh, in the second half of these games, Martinelli having a key role both on the counter, which he's obviously well suited to, and covering Nuno because he's more intense defensively, I think. Rowe's disciplined and covered his spaces. But we've seen Martinelli herring around, uh, pressing uh, as a defender in that corner and and helping keeping secure and helping stay on it. So I can see the last few games playing out with Smith-Rowe, getting those starts you're looking at, but maybe Martinelli coming on with uh, 45, sorry, maybe uh, 30 minutes to go. Um, and it's really all about that rotation with Nuno, because if you're using Nuno as a full back for 80% of the game, you're you're probably not playing to our strengths. And if Tommy can stay fit, you know, move everybody across the pitch. There, There's your three giving you stability. Uh, Chaka as one of the pivots, covering as Nuno bombs forward and linking up hopefully with Smith-Rowe. I think that's how I see it playing out.
1: Clive?
2: Yeah, I think you know I was going to say something then, didn't you? I think um, you read me like we're on video. Right? So like, um, no, I think there is going to be a rotation. I'm trying to work out how it's going to be. So obviously we can all see that smith throw likes to drift inside, so it gives Nuno room. But I thought Martinelli had a fantastic game defensively, and Paul touched on it. Again, not every game can be the game of, that you want to have. Sometimes you're forced to have a game that the other team give you. And they were three on two on that side. And Martelli had to work very hard. Shaq had to come over late. And Martelli had to work very hard to protect and to to keep them back on that side. And I thought he did it brilliantly. Go back to Manchester United game, Paul. I know you watched it. Look how well Diego Dallo played against, Manchester, against us. And that Smith-Rose guy, and he couldn't catch him. He couldn't stop him. He couldn't stop him getting forward. And that game broke up on that side. And they were incredibly yeah. effective there because Mifro didn't have the energy post the game against Chelsea to do the work. We rotated him out. I see Mifro playing on Sunday because we're a home game and I think we can afford to be a bit more expressive in fullback areas. But for the away game at Spurs, I see the, the more secure Martinelli who's a more, or he's, he's just better defensively, more intense, more aware. Would you believe it? How many times you see him carry the ball out touches the edge of the area, really secure, carrying it away from danger or passing away from danger. Also getting out to his man quickly. It was a yeah. different game for him, but it's a game we need in this stage of the season. So the Martelli mm. that we grew up with two years ago, banging it from the edge of the area, top corner, that may not be him. He hasn't scored, I think he's got one goal in 16 games, something like that. I heard a stat. Hey, look, no doubt no, check it. But mm. he hasn't scored for a while, maybe since Watford, whipped it top bags, right? So... This is what we have to do right now, and I think it's just something we have to accept and judge people in the context of the games we are watching and the stage of the season we are at. And then we can reassess at the end of the year about where they are in their development, how we field the squad, what type of player we bring in to compete, what's there going to be their final position, are they going to be rotational players? And this is a fun bit isn't it when the season ends.
1: I have to say, right, I I think... The way we are set up right now and the structure of this team is such that whoever plays left side of the attack, Clive, is going to be a little peripheral. There's not quite the access to that side. You don't have Tierney passing to them. You don't have a left side at eight because Odegaard's going to be on the right mostly. You don't have a link-up striker. That's going to be a little bit of a thankless job. A lot of running up and down the touchline, a lot of pressing, and not a lot of not a lot of it, it varies. Um, it, varies yeah.
2: mm. it varies. It varies. I mean, yeah, a few weeks ago, very short weeks ago, there was a player called Thomas party who was our lone midfielder. Just stepping through the play. Oh, <laughs> whipping no, I'm, it out. I'm saying right
1: now, the way we're <laughs> yeah, saying, yeah, like, yeah. right now, the way we're construct, I'm not saying like going oh, forward. Okay. or I, I, So what I mean is I think for right now, that player is going to have to just accept. There's not going to be a lot of service that it's going to be a little difficult to get the ball in those, in those critical areas. And so like, I think whether it's Smith Rowe or Martinelli, they're going to have to press. They're going to have to run back defensively. They're going to have to look for that moment. I mean, to to Martinelli's credit, he gets one moment, he puts it on the head of Gabriel, and we win the game. Um, And Smith Rowe, I think, whether it's Smith Rowe or Martinelli, whichever player it is, I think they're going to have to find the two or three moments where they can influence the game and take advantage of it. I don't think they're going to have the service they need to be in the game regularly. And with leads coming up, Clive, like, We haven't had a game like this in a while. I guess Brighton at home was the last one. You know, a home game where we're going to be pretty big favorites, but a team that, I mean, look, Leeds' last what last five results, if you you forget the 4-0 they just lost to City, draw with Palace away, 3-0 victory over Watford away, draw with Southampton at home, 3-2 victory over Wolves away, 2-1 victory over Norwich at home. Now, I'm not saying that makes them the greatest team ever, but this is not the Leeds of a few months ago when they were losing by fives and sixes. So yep. do you have a sense of what it's going to take to... I mean, I almost get the sense that this team benefits from not being the big favorite with the expectations to go do it, and we're going to find ourselves back in that situation in a weekend where Spurs go to Anfield. And, I mean, this, Clive, this is the whole season in a sense, because if if Liverpool just do their job... Please, Liverpool, just do your job. And they beat Spurs, and we can find a way past Leeds. We literally are in a situation where, in a worst case scenario, the derby doesn't matter. It doesn't, doesn't I mean, it always matters. It's a derby, but you see what I'm saying? So, how do we approach this? Because I think psychologically, it's a very, very tricky situation.
2: Yeah, it's tricky, right? But everyone's going to be bouncing. It's going to be a sunny day on Sunday. And We'll know a lot more than we know right now because um, don't count out Spurs and Liverpool, I'm afraid. Um, so don't count them out. But we hope little Liverpool do their bits, as you say. But what well, I will say that Leeds will have to play us because Burnley and Everton have found form. They will have to play. You know? And that means we can move through the pitch. And the pitch was small at the weekend, but the pitch will be bigger in, in this game because I think we'll be, they'll, they'll naturally want to come on to us, which means we can naturally play through. Right, so that's how I see the game going. It's about execution first goal. We don't wanna give them anything to chew on, right? We can't give them something to chew on. They're not they're not a low block team anyway, but you don't wanna give a team that's desperate something to hold on to, you know? And um so yeah, we've just got to do our work. We've gotta do our work, we've got to execute, and um I I'm, I'm a little bit worried about um Saka actually. Um I think he's always fantastic,
1: but the it comes to, taking a toll toll. me?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think so. He's barely finishing games. He's always slow off the ground. That's a good sign of fatigue. I'm a little bit worried about that. Now, what will we do? You know, we've got a big game against Spurs the next few days. I'm not saying... There could be a time just to have a think about it. I know people are going to say, you're crazy, you're crazy, we need to beat Leeds, we need to beat Leeds, and it's about resting people. It's about also about protecting people. If he's on the edge of something, you need to do something about it. You know, because Spurs, we're going to need him for definite, for definite, you know. So um let's see what happens this weekend. I sent a little bit of freshening up. We looked a little, we looked like the team that played in Europe on Sunday. That's said, honest to God's truth at stages. We looked fatigued. We looked mm. slow in our minds. I couldn't believe it. Was that my nerves? I don't know. But we didn't look fresh, you know. So we got a good gap now before we go into the final phase. And, so yeah, I think um, just watch the space on that one there. You know, There's, it looks like he's carrying something.
1: Can, can I ask? I, I would love it, please ask away.
3: Is it just me? Because um, you're on, you're in the discords and the social medias and stuff. I, I know he didn't have a breakout game. I thought Saka looked pretty good in this. I thought he looked. Oh, pretty Oh, I thought sharp. he was
1: great. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it's, it's not
2: critiquey performance, Paul. More the fatigue no, no. angle. Yeah. More the yeah, fatigue but, angle.
3: But like that plays into it, doesn't it? I, I mean, I think we're managing him by getting him off with a little time before the end. I, I, I fully hear what you say, Clive. Um, but when I look at him, like, I think he's, even in the games recently where we're like, well, it wasn't as a breakout a game for, like, he's just he's just so good. And I I guess I'm hoping our, my eye is right. That he's not, we use him a lot, but he looks okay to me.
2: He yeah, he's, okay. played every, he's played every game this seen so far Every yeah. league game so far Right And given the fact He went to Euros And literally had The last kick of the Euros So he barely had a break Came off the bench Against Brentford About 20 minutes later After Euros finished Right So yeah. that's an issue for me um, But also I, I'm not just watching but, I'm listening as well But are we
3: seeing it On the pitch You know what I mean
2: Yeah, I'm listening really as well to the interviews. And Arteta said, you know, Saka had a problem before this game. He had a bit of a problem before this game. And he always plays. And I'm always happy to see him there. But I'm just wondering, we're coming to... Hey, look, I'm nervous, right? We're coming to one game before... Leave that to me, buddy. (laughs) we got Leeds coming up. And we got Spurs a game after. I don't want Saka missing that Spurs game. Because we... Do you know what I'm saying? I can't have that. We have to sort them out. There is no... And we're not going to sort them out without him. Right. So then
3: I want to go into the game with the three points from Leeds.
2: uh, I absolutely do. I'm just saying, (laughs) I'm just saying, yeah, I'm not saying, uh, uh, Well, basically, I want want my look right. I want my cake and eat. I want him rested and I want him available for Spurs. I can't have that. Right. (laughs) And I want all the points in the bag. Right. So, um, that's what I really want. I can't quite say that. But I just want to make sure that he's right for that game because when we pop into their manner, we need to deal with them. Once and for Mm. all, you know, and we're going to need Bukayo Saka to do that.
1: It's it's going to be bittersweet when Spurs do qualify for the Champions League at the end of this season, but but only because they finished fourth, we finished third, and Chelsea finished fifth. So that's going to be an interesting twist nobody saw coming as they continue to uh, not not do well. Anyway, um, yeah, we'll we'll have more on on the fixtures that are coming up because like. It's a 7.45 p.m. kickoff at Anfield on Saturday. That seems weird, but that's what it is. Um, And then we go the next day. It's a good thing.
2: BT have moved that slot from the morning to the night, and not before time. You know, for teams that are playing in Europe in the week. Why are you doing that? You can't have those top teams playing in Europe, and you're getting there Saturday morning. Liverpool had to play Saturday morning against Newcastle. That's criminal. Absolutely criminal after playing a European Cup Semi final in the week on a Wednesday, you know. Yeah, the Premier League's
1: always been shit about. Protecting we gotta stop. Teams we
2: moment. gotta stop this. We really do. And we got done with the Chelsea Man United on a Saturday morning slot. Why can't that be Saturday night? It makes such a difference. The game ended up being brilliant. But it makes such a difference to the quality of the game. Liverpool just go over the line against Newcastle. If they didn't win that game, I'd be asking serious questions about TV scheduling. I really would. Mm. But that's one of my well, hobby horses.
1: Well. Let's hope that uh, they get the feeling of a big European night on Saturday night, and it spurs them to, no pun intended, a heroic performance, a 10-0 over Tottenham. Uh, get that goal difference closer. That would be helpful. Look, we got plenty more we can cover, and I am uh, barely clinging to health right now, so we should probably knock this one on the head. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Yes, there it is. Clive's on Twitter, Clive BFC. <laughs> Clive.
2: Thank you very much.
1: My name is Alex Smithy Blackman, And You're going to send us those reviews. Put get the reviews in. Send me the screenshot on email or DM or whatever. We'll get you into the drawing. And uh, sometime next week we'll do uh, the drawing for a couple uh, free years of Patreon. So that'll be a lot of fun. We love you. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, we all just cross our fingers and toes and everything else and try to. Get our way through these squeaky bum games, these next few of them, and hopefully have a big, big celebration at the end of the season. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10 leads them.